0: Welcome, everyone, to Unsafe Space. Uh, today is Monday, March 14th, 2022. Uh, you might be used to the Kofefi Break intro, which I also miss. We will have an intro for this new show, but you are watching the inaugural episode of Narrative Dissonance. Don't worry. Like I said, we'll have an intro for it. We just don't yet. Um, on this show, we're going to convene a panel of journalists from outside the mainstream to challenge cathedral narratives. Uh so it should be fun. It should be a good discussion. Uh, this will be every Monday at this time. Welcome people in chat. Um, you can always watch the show at unsafespace.com. All of our content on unsafespace.com space.com live streams are always embedded there. We are streaming on YouTube, Utree, on Odyssey, Rumble, uh, maybe somewhere else. I don't know, Beverly King. Maybe there's something I'm missing. D Live? Maybe we're on D Live too. Uh, but we're always on our own website uh, because we promise not to censor ourselves there. You can follow us on Twitter at underscore unsafe space. Um, and the best way to actually support questioning the mainstream narrative is to share this episode with a friend. Hit that subscribe button before it gets censored or just go to unsafespace.com to f- support us financially. Before we get started, one thing I want to do. We have, uh, we we forgot to announce our next book club book. <laughs> Sit down for this one, guys. <laughs> Gulag Archipelago. Now, we're going to do the abridged version. This is one volume of a three-volume version, uh, the full version. We're not doing the full version. We're doing the abridged version, but it's still, still kind of hefty, to be honest. That will be on April 24th. You can blame Thomas St. Thomas slash thank Thomas St. Thomas, who will be the advocate for that book, Running Book Club, on April 24th. you got a little bit more than a month to... Find yourself some Solzhenitsyn and uh, join book club. All right. So welcome to Narrative Dissonance. This week's panel, uh, well, let's just introduce him. Uh, Please welcome Christian Watson. He's the host of Pensive Politics. He's a regular contributor for the Bold TV Media Network. He's also appeared on Newsmax, BBC Radio London, and across the digital print spectrum, including USA Today, the advocate magazine, the Washington Examiner, the Washington Times. Christian, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining. Um, yeah, it's problem. good to, to be here. Good to meet you. Absolutely. And our second panelist today is Elle, who many of you may know as Some Bitch I Know. Uh, you might know her from her relentless job as a researcher behind uh, Some Bitch Media. And she personifies the tagline, set your sources or GTFO. She's helped explode mainstream narratives around uh, around the world, around the, I don't know, around the mainstream, I guess. KOOF, uh, the 2020 election, Jeffrey Epstein and Jelaine Maxwell, uh, other stuff. I'm sure we're going to hear uh, more today about other stuff. So you've seen her here on unsafe space and around the interwebs. So welcome back, Elle. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for it's coming. <laughs> I think I'm a little bit discombobulated today. I know L is a little bit discombobulated, so Christian's the only adult in the room today. All you got to
1: right. hold us together, Christian. You got this.
2: <laughs> man, I'll do my best, man. It's a high, high standard right there. I'll do my best. <laughs> Believe
1: in you. So,
0: let's um, let's just kick it off. I, I'm gonna. I'd already told you guys what question prompts I would ask, but um, maybe I'll start with you, Christian. What's the most important story about which the mainstream media has been misleading us in the past week?
2: It's very hard to mention anything that has nothing to do with the Ukraine conflict because that's what's basically sucking all the oxygen out of the room. But I'm going to mention about the Ukraine conflict and particularly the angle that I'm seeing that is quite misleading is we've been increasingly seeing more talk from officials in the government about World War Three. Joe Biden used the term World War III to justify not doing a particular policy move as it relates to Poland and Ukraine. Um, A few senators were talking yesterday, a few days ago, actually, about how World War III um, wouldn't be that big of a deal because the United States would just crush the (laughs) Russian army. No, really, it's, it's, it's astonishing. But what's even more astonishing is that we're using a colloquialism to describe a situation in which it does not fit. There is no such thing as World War III. It is a theoretical idea of what the next world war would be like. Um, But in this globalized economy that we live in, where we're all interconnected, and money really travels much further than bullets these days, the idea of a World War III actually happening would be so disastrous to any nation's self-interest that it's almost uh, a fable that it would would even, even occur. But if it did occur then we can bet it wouldn't be all that painless, uh, given how interconnected we are and how much we rely on each other as nations. I mean, when World War II happened afterwards, Europe's economy was just completely and utterly destroyed. And who was the number one economy in the world after that? The United States. And we basically helped rebuild the world. Well, things are really different. The United States relies on a lot of people now and partially due to, um, you know, the principles of comparative and absolute advantage, which are economic necessities and other parts due to Biden's antipathy towards American workers wanting to not have us produce oil here. America is dependent on a range of nations for a range of things. This can be a good thing or in the case of the Keystone XL pipeline, a bad thing. Um, but this idea of World War III just being talked about as if it's a as if some sort of joke or some sort of thing you can put out there without causing some kind of panic or causing some kind of disturbance is really irresponsible. And the fact that people think that we're even close to it is also really irresponsible as well. It's just not true. It's a
0: fable. So do you not – either of you not think we're actually close to – do you think the leaders would avoid actually doing that? Or do you think we are close to some sort of cataclysmic World War III I don't. No, L. No. You think we're close?
1: I don't. And well, not one that would. Not not in I guess in in the traditional sense of a of a world war. Again, uh, as Christian said, information is a lot more uh, powerful than any sort of uh, bullet or missile or nuclear bomb and. Uh, I think that world war three is, is it, it in the sense that I'm thinking world war three is already being fought and has been fought for many, many decades, but it, it's information warfare and people just don't realize that they're kind of caught in the crosshairs of it. Um, more than anything, uh, realistically, if there's any sort of aside from rising gas prices and inflation and things like that, if there's any sort of tangible sense of actual war, that uh, Comes to most uh, nation's soil in the Western world, which you know, let's let's be quite clear. Ukraine is is a war torn country. Oftentimes, they're not. It's not like this is abnormal uh, for them. Typically, it's just gotten the the mainstream media's you know undivided attention and and commandeering the narrative right now. Uh, Should any sort should that come to uh, you know, Western European or, or United States or Canada or something of that ilk, it would be, a, I think, a very different, uh, it, would, it would be very, very different. But I don't think that that's going to happen, to be quite honest.
0: Or when we say no, yeah. World War Three, are we talking about nuclear war? Because like, I think for a lot of people have always, I grew up thinking World War Three would be global thermonuclear war and we would all die because that's how we grew up. Is that what we're talking about? Or is there like a different kind yeah. of World War Three people are talking about?
1: That's, yeah. How do you define it? I guess would be a good question. And I don't know the answer to that.
0: Yeah. That's, this is the issue.
2: We have these fantastical ideas of what we think might happen. And then we impose those fantastical ideas of what we, we think might happen onto things that are happening without actually investigating the relationship between things that are happening and things which might happen. We presume they are one and the same. That's what politicians are doing when they talk about World War Three. That's what people on social media are doing when they talk about World War Three. Because in all reality, this is not necessarily a world war. Far from it, actually. A lot of countries, even some countries that are sympathetic with Russia, um, such as Erdogan, who's, in Tur- who's, who's ironically, Turkey's in NATO— but he's still uh, a Putin ally, considered a Putin ally. Erdogan is completely and utterly antithetical to what, what what Putin wants. He's told him to stop. China is being cautious. They want Russia to come over their side because they can get, make more profit, but they realize that the West is going to impose some stiff costs on them, which is why uh, a, a US national security figure is meeting with a Chinese advisor in Rome, I think sometime this week, to talk about you know, the consequences for Beijing if they continue to be with China, uh, excuse me, with, with Russia. Russia. The point is this. This is not a world war because there are so many nations' interests that would be threatened by merely associating with Russia, much less going to war against the West with Russia. But again, it's just sort of trying to create what's happening to fit our imaginations. In all reality, talks of World War III are delusional. They're delusional because they have no basis in reality. They have basis in a wild imagination that cannot conceive of human relationships um, being maintained through diplomacy and conversation. They They are birthed from a mentality that cannot conceive humans actually being able to work together despite our differences. They are birthed from a deeply cynical mentality which rejects our ability as human beings to reason our way out of tough situations. It's why I don't like even, if you put it in the fictional sense, doomsday movies, zombie movies. I don't like that because all of them have this cynical idea of humanity that it will be destroyed one day, completely and utterly destroyed, and we'll all be at each other's throats. But it it rejects the fact that uh, civilization only came about due to the principle of cooperation, due to the principle of man being a brotherhood. That's what's being missed here. Diplomacy exists and has worked for so long for a reason. It exists and it works for so long for a reason because there is a basis in that in our nature.
0: Let me play devil's advocate for a moment because I like your optimism, right? Uh, But I also like zombie movies. and um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They can respond sometimes, but... Look, look, looking back at history, um, there have been several times where... We we almost had massive nuclear war, or at least the first salvo was fired, and it and it wasn't fired due to the actions in some cases of one person, um, and the, the two cases I'm thinking of are actually Soviets, um, yeah. but due to due to the behavior of Soviet commanders who said no, you know were the the third of a needed unanimous vote or who just re- refused to report to their superiors what they were seeing and just assumed it was a computer glitch and you know actually were punished for that later and, and were defying orders, but saved. I We don't know what would have happened generally, but we know at least a salvo of nukes would have been fired, and after that, we can assume that the results wouldn't have been pretty. So I, I like the optimism, but the flip side is it doesn't take much for that sense of brotherhood to fall apart. And history does have a, you know, humans do have a history of warring with each other, genocide, um, bullying. Um, like that also does happen. And we now have the technology that if the wrong person makes the wrong decision, it affects all of us. It can absolutely hundred percent.
2: And that's something that we always have to be in. We have to be uh, aware of. You know, we have to be aware that there are, there are people like Putin who will go, who will basically almost do almost anything. I say almost anything because even Putin realizes his limits. That's why he has, you know, been asking the West. He's been begging the West actually not to sanction him anymore. He's like, please, this is not necessary. Don't do this anymore, guys. He's not as crazy as people think. He's a little crazy, not as crazy as people think. Um, but there's a reason he thinks he has limits. Because, again, the power of a diplomatic approach um, has the ability to disrupt his goals. Uh, my, my overall point is this. While there have been instances in human history where our brotherhood has deteriorated and has, have broken down and we have gone at complete odds with each other and, it, and there's some terrible things that have happened, whether it's in Rwanda, whether it's the American Civil War, whether it's regardless, but whether it's um, what's happening over in Syria, what's happening right now in Sudan, Sudan versus South Africa, regardless of where it is, there are many instances of man's brotherhood being decapitated, but there are there are much greater a far greater amount of instances of man's brotherhood working and i think the existence of civilization itself is one of those instances that overcomes everything else the 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 instances of it not working are deviations they don't represent the average the average is stuff like this happens conversations happen you know people they go to work they go to the store they put money into the economy they take care of their kids buy food cook you know clean Go, uh, go to sleep. They, they, many people live average lives, which may not seem anything special, but underlie the principle of human cooperation. And that is what I think talks of World War III miss. They completely throw the idea of human cooperation off the window and assume that we're just waiting to kill each other. And that's a deeply cynical assumption that misses just the significance of what civilization itself is. And that's my problem. And the media has played into that. Biden has played into that. All these politicians who are talking about World War 3 have played into the public's imagination and they're and they're using it for their own political ends. And that's pretty dangerous in my opinion. Well,
1: so I'm gonna play the devil's avocado as well. You, I mean, you just said it there. We're looking at uh, the population of Russia is a little under, I think about 150 uh, million people. It's a, it's a massive country, the massive population. And you have seen in the over the course of about a month um, due to uh, kind of what I was alluding to earlier, the information warfare kind of waging a war against Putin. Uh, the people that are caught in the crosshairs are the Russian people. Absolutely. And what you've had change over the last month or so is, again, the the fate of some, you know, just short of 150 million people's livelihoods, ability to, uh, you know, stay above the poverty line, to avoid a life of desperation and destitution uh, is being held in the balance by bankers, the uh, the global military industrial complex and and politicians with an ax to grind. And you have people that are actively cheering for that saying, well, you know what, they shouldn't have been Russian. They shouldn't have like, which of course is something that nobody can actually help. And you have the dehumanization of an entire nation of people, a massive nation and people who I, I can guarantee you should some sort of uh massive military strike against Russia occur where there's a significant uh civilian uh cost of life people would say well that's just part of war and you I find it absolutely fascinating uh, as we were discussing last time I was on the show Carter and just in general the propaganda is so widely used against the citizens of I mean every country but particularly here you've seen kind of I think when you kind of uh, segregate people into the, you know, the binary of left and right wing, you, you already are missing the point, but just for argument's sake, uh, people who have been traditionally left wing uh, previously, you you would associate them with being as uh, anti big pharma as anti war machine. And you have seen really quite, quite, methodically over the last i guess five or so years that mentality has almost entirely shifted i mean this is this is really the true party switch you have a bunch of war hungry big pharma you know pill junkies uh, that have been made out of the left and that is people that are that are cheering for the the debanking and the and the the removal of an enti- again 150 million people from the the global stage that kind of stuff can absolutely lead to the breakdown of the social contract, which is, you know, people who, you know, we behave and we follow the the law, the order of law, the order of, because other people are as well. That's being broken down in such a systematic way and people aren't even aware of it. It it actually, it it actually terrifies me that, uh, for example, and I know I've been talking for a while, but I've got kind of one more example. If you go back to the beginning of, of what we, you know, refer to as World War One, uh, you know, a lot of people attribute the beginning to, you know, the assassination of the Arch- Archduke Ferdinand, but truly it was the sinking of the Lusitania uh, that was the because the assassination of uh, Ferdinand it wouldn't have been enough to, to bring us into a into a war, right? Uh, but the sinking of the Lusitania was. But what a lot of people don't Realize is that the German embassy, indice- uh, sorry, the German embassy, uh, before uh, I guess in the uh, the week leading up to, uh, was putting out nonstop uh, alerts in in newspapers, uh, you know, as, as well as you could at that time, you know, saying if a ship enters this water, it's considered a war zone. Any any ship flying the the flag of Britain to those who are uh, planning on. Uh, boarding the Lusitania don't I mean this was being put out by the German embassy and yet uh it was largely uh kind of quashed by the media at that time print media and, and so as soon as the Lusitania was sank then that was when the media jumped all over it and said you know oh we got the, the Lusit- like this is this is this is war now and I'm not saying that you know I I the, legitimizing the sinking of a of a, a passenger s- ship full of civilians i'm not trying to do that at all but there's so many different ways that people can be drawn into war a- a- and and into being kind of war hawks and following the 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 preferred narrative of the mainstream media and of the military industrial complex and it, it it's so complex and is so multifaceted it, it's really terrifying yeah. That to me, that to me is World War Three.
0: Absolutely. I mean, yeah, no. one of the things that you're you've both brought up is it that, that's bothers me the most about this is I mean, I guess it's nice that we're feeling empathy for Ukrainians, and of course that's horrible. And and I do feel empathy for the Ukrainians who I believe are mostly being used as a tool by superpowers in order to push agendas for whatever and they're gonna die and and suffer as a result. But you've also seen like you guys mentioned, this 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 uh, villain—it's it's it's almost a soft genocide attempt against Russians. Can we can we lock them out of everything financially possible? Can we deny them? I mean, I saw someone on Twitter celebrating yesterday that um, a bunch of dental equipment was no longer available, like de- like dentures and stuff like that. Ha ha! Russians can't get dental work anymore because it's all imported from Germany or wherever, and they're not getting it anymore. And um, we've got ordinary people kind of caught in the crossfire here. I guess I, I kind of want to circle back to the beginning when, Christian, you said this, this World War III narrative is being pushed. What's, why do you think it's being pushed? I, we do see the left pushing it and the right. We've got the uniparty all behind rah, rah, rah. What's the goal here?
2: Oh dear. I don't I don't know what the goal is per se for sure. I can engage a conjecture. I can say that, you know, um that some certain people ha- feel this virtuous this sort of this sort of fox virtuous desire to go ahead and Bring down tyrants, you know, which, which was what George Takai kind of said. Well, you, you, you can suffer a little bit, you know, that deal with this madman. And it's what, uh, such an
1: asshole. Sorry.
2: It's what Stephen Colbert said too. And he said, "Well, yeah, I don't mind paying fifteen dollars, right? Of course you don't. You millionaire. Of course you don't. <laughs> right, right. Of course you <laughs> not mind. I think but, you said but, I have
0: a Tesla, so whatever.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. You know, which is another level of pretension. You know, all those lithium mines, right? Anyway. Anyway. Different um, topic, but um. No, so some people have this sort of virtuous urge to want to see their version of the world manifest, made manifest, regardless of the cost. Right, the sort of end justify the means thing, which is a really backwards moral thinking. When anyone ever says the end justify the means. I always say no. The means compromise the ends. Any moral end is not going to be pursued or cannot be pursued logically with immoral means. If moral ends are pursued with immoral means, then the ends themselves become compromised. So there is no yes. end justify the means. It's the means compromising, destroying the ends. And I think that if some of these people read some more moral philosophy, they'd be better off. Unfortunately, uh, fortunately for. Them, but they don't do it, unfortunately. So some people it's a sense of virtue. Other people have financial stakes, obviously. Military industrial complex. They all have financial stakes. And going to war. I mean, having sending all these countries weapons that they produce and they make in their factories. That's that's all. That's all there as well. I think a majority of people, however, simply have a remote an emotional repulsion to the activity of someone like Putin, and they'll take what they see and they'll uncritically apply it to their moral calculus, and they'll go on with it. Um, a lot of it is simply a case of uh, what I like to call bystander syndrome, You know, where the bystander in a bullying situation just stands by and doesn't get involved in the situation. Okay, well, this bystander stands by, doesn't get intellectually involved in understanding the situation, but absorbs all of the stuff of the situation by proximity. So we have bystanders that are truly bystanders in their desire to askew getting knowledge, their desire to avoid going and research, but they absorb everything by osmosis like a plant does almost. That's one of the biggest threats to Western civilization, willful ignorance that has convinced itself that it's not ignorance. You know, I can be willfully ignorant and know it. Well, I I don't want to know about that because I don't care about that. Okay. I'm being ignorant. I know it. But if I say, Okay, Putin is this thing right here, and I don't need anyone else to tell me differently. I'm being woefully ignorant about the other things he could be, but I have convinced myself that I've been informed and I have the virtuous take, which insulates me from knowledge and thus subordinates me to mediocrity and thus follows my actions. I will go along with what people say. I'll be more set to the propaganda as, as, uh, as Elle was saying. I will buy more into these things, and I'll participate in them. Most people are being willing lemmings for these narratives. And the solution simply is you have to think about these things. You have to challenge these things. You know, I I do I'm not a, a expert on foreign policy. But over the past three weeks or so oh, you better believe I've researched. You better believe I've listened to Putin's speeches, past and present. I listened to the February 21st speech that he did, which was before the the speech he did with declaring the special military operation. I saw the rationale he laid out for why he wanted to go ahead and invade Ukraine. And I said, you know what? I could see how he could see that this is a valid idea, but it's wrong for X, Y, and Z reasons. Most people have not even listened to any of Putin's speeches beyond the Soundbites they see on the news, they just see Putin, they see what's happening in Ukraine, and they say bad, bad, bad. It's approximation ethics. The ABCs of morality, this sort of simplified moral thinking that does not take us to the next level, which keeps us subordinated to whatever people in power want us to believe. And this ABCs of morality is precisely what provided the foundation for every single atrocity in this his- in the history of this country, and the history of the West too. Every single atrocity—it's people standing by, not applying their minds, and just taking what what is at, what is at face value. It's a problem. So, anyway, that's a very long answer, but that was a great rant. <laughs> It's very complicated. It's a very complicated question. You know, I'm yeah. sorry, I'm not going to preach
0: here, but still, it, it gets me. No, going. no, I. It- no, I think, <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. I I, I mean, what, when I what I think about when I well, there's two things that come to mind when you say that one is that um, that's intentional. I mean, you just just read CNN, New York Times, any of the mainstream media outlets and try and find a link to the actual text of anything Putin has ever said or anything that they don't like. Source material is hidden, not put front and center. Right. Yes. They have the opposite of L's. Tagline. It's not cite your sources or get the fuck out. It's you know hide your sources or <laughs> get yeah. the fuck out. Like that's that's oh, their yes. that's their mo. Um, but also, what I'm thinking about is this: there's a psychology at play here, which is um, you know our our motivation mm. to do and and think and and exist is often emotionally driven, which is fine. We're emotional beings, and that that's fine. Um, but we we can, we can employ our rational faculties to do one of two things. We can employ them to, we can kind of say, well, I'm going to kind of double check everything and make sure that my emotional desires are in line Mm -hmm. with what's really correct or right or what I want. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be self-critical when I do that and open to, to contradictory information and evidence. Or you can say, well, Mm -hmm. I'm going to use my rational faculties to rationalize that's the word, like to rationalize my feelings. And I'm not going to bother to examine anything that might contradict what I, what I feel like I want to do here. And when I see this, this, I, I see Putin as a stand Frankly, I see Putin as a stand in for Trump. And I see the Russian people as a stand in for the deplorables. And I see the same craziness on the left that we had for the past four years. And I see them. They've already tight. They've already interwoven Putin and Trump in their minds together for four or five years straight. That's been part of the narrative. And they they hate deplorables to the point where I think they would do wish violence and ill things you've seen them at want to kick kick Trump supporters out of social media, cancel them, whatever you've seen as as a lot of hatred and um, vituperations aimed at at the so-called deplorables and I think I look at this and I see almost a release for them like oh, we can do something against Trump and the deplorables. If there's a stand in for Trump and the deplorables, but anything that counters the narrative that um that justifies us behaving in this way, I don't want to hear. It's propaganda. Anything that is, that would, would make me question what I want to do to the deplorables and to Putin. Um I'm just mm-hmm. gonna ignore. Is that crazy?
2: Or
1: am no.
0: I on to something? I mean
2: I don't huh, I don't know if people are thinking in those exact terms. I I I, I don't have any indication of that. Um, because I think even the most ardent Trump hater would admit that Trump and Putin are at least in some cases different. Now, most of them think that Trump likes Putin. I, I, I most of them, I'm trying to I'm trying to give them as much a bit of a doubt as
0: possible. No, it's good. Because
2: I, <laughs> I don't I don't know their minds. I don't know that I can only know I only know what I've seen and what I've seen from people of all sides. Um, what I've seen is the Russian people not treated at all or referred to at all when they talk about Russia. This is the kicker. Whenever any country is talked about, whether it be China, whether it be Russia, you never hear people say the Chinese people or people say the Russian people. They'll say Russia did X, China did X, China's going to take over Taiwan. Okay, so when someone's saying that Russia did this or China did this, what they're doing is that what they're really doing, they're referring to the governments of those countries, but they're not specifying that. So when someone goes ahead to say that. China did this, we have to punish them. No one ever conceptualizes the real people in the country because we've been treating China as an abstraction all along. When you can treat nations as just abstract entities, you can justify destruction to those nations because the people never come into your mind. This is one of the problems of how we speak about international relations. We have to be very specific. I always strive to say, Putin or the Kremlin. That's much more specific and that comprises a a group of people. I like to say the CCP or Xi Jinping, that's a particular group of a few hundred people who are in power. But when you say that China is doing this, Russia is doing this, you're including the people, you're indicting them by omission, and then you are also providing the foundation to justify atrocity against them. That's something that we all have to get, get, get checked on because it's something that happens all the time in other uh, genres as well, not just in terms of foreign policy, but also in terms of political conversation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's, and that's how you get end up with Chinese people being beaten in New York City over COVID. Um, yeah. and it's how you end up with mm-hmm. calls to mm-hmm. to um, kick Russian mm-hmm. students out of universities and all that kind of stuff. It's like these people have nothing to do. They don't have anything. To, I mean, if, if Xi Jinping mm-hmm. is an autocrat, and if Putin is a dictator, they have even less to do with what their government is doing than we have to do with whatever Biden is doing, if you can imagine that.
2: Yeah, but it's the problem of abstractions. We all speak an abstraction to some level. Even I do. We got to stop it. Hey, I'm speaking an abstraction. When I say we. <laughs> That's an abstraction. Right, I'm using sure. this abstract idea. It, it, it's, it's something that all of us have to check. Because when we don't check our premises, we can easily slip into falsehood. This is the goal of philosophy: to guard you against falsehood by unifying your understanding of knowledge. But again, if you don't check your premises, you fall into falsehood easily, and it's not even yes. funny. And what the consequences could be?
0: Yeah, well said. All right, well let's do this. Uh, I we we beat that one a little bit. My suspicion is L's answer might be similar, but I'm gonna go back, L and ask you the same question that I asked Christian at the beginning. As a reminder, Um, people in chat, you're welcome to answer this question and and post uh, stuff you want us to talk about as well. But what's the most important story about which the mainstream media has misled people this past week? I'll go.
1: Well, in thinking about the answer to this question uh, that you uh, posed before the show, I guess maybe I... uh, Well, I guess I I could tie it into... into, um, into the actual uh, mainstream media. Uh, one of the things that's been happening the most, and this is something that uh, people who, if, if you know, you know, uh, whenever anything is going on, it, it doesn't matter if it's COVID, Russia, Ukraine, uh, you know, the, the Zelensky phone call it like anything that's happening that the media will latch on to there's always going to be a set of goals that various organizations nonprofits uh, government entities and individuals are going to try to use it as a uh, as a tool and as a vehicle to further their own agenda and one of the things that you know I, i've been on kind of a kick about lately is uh, propaganda in general and the you know uh, the article that i showed you the last time i was on the show where you have people who work for these think tanks who are like not only is this propaganda it doesn't matter if it's if it's real or or fake it, it's it's good for morale and it's good for the war uh you have uh, the media in general is is. And tech companies and governments are using this now as opposed to COVID as a means for censorship and a uh, means for information control. And you had sent me a message because on your on the last show, I had mentioned that the CEO of DuckDuckGo, Gabriel Weinberg, is someone who I've had my eye on for a while. And I I, I greatly mistrust and, and with good reason. And if you don't mind, I'd like to get into that a little bit.
0: Uh, yeah, please, please. Do you want to pull the tweet up?
1: Uh, I can I can pull that up right. Now. I don't actually have the tweet up in front of me, but give me two seconds. Probably can find it
0: if you need. And it. I got
1: it. Uh, oh bah, 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 bah. well. So what I do have though is an article, which I'll, I'll drop the archive link to this in the private chat. Uh, is an is a article relating to uh, this issue here, which is from the New York Times. Uh. Which the headline of this, which I can share my screen if you if you'd like. Uh, da, 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 da. Is it the
0: far right complains that one? Yes, oh, you got it. So
1: already. so Gabriel Weinberg tweeted about how DuckDuckGo is going to start uh, limiting. Limiting, uh, not German, sorry, uh, Russian propaganda. And so this is from the New York Times. The far right complains after the search engine DuckDuckGo fouls to limit Russian propaganda. The backlash underscored the difficulties some technology companies face in limiting the spread of Russian propaganda. Again, this is our our media. These are the, this is Gabriel Weinberg, DuckDuckGo. They're supposed to be some of the the good guys, right? Uh, And and plain and simple, Uh, The quote here, uh, if you scroll down just a little bit below this uh, image, uh, is a quote directly from Gabriel Weinberg. Like so many others, I am sickened by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, he tweeted on Thursday. And so this to me, maybe this isn't necessarily like this story in particular is the most important, but to me, the most important thing is is how this is being used to further the the ongoing censorship agenda and the, you know, limiting disinformation, limiting misinformation, while simultaneously, as we saw, you had uh, various tech companies limiting their own terms of service and their own, uh, you know, user agreements Uh, suspending them so that people could actively call for the assassination of, uh, you know, Russian leaders and for violence against the Russian uh, citizens, uh, which I think, again, is, is probably probably the most important thing in my mind, maybe it's not the most important thing going on in the world. There's plenty of other things going on. There's a the tri there's a tri-state compact between Tennessee, Mississippi and Arkansas, which would turn the uh, private property rights over to a uh, private corporation called region smart that uh, can use eminent domain to seize your private property to build smart cities that just failed in the Mississippi Senate about three days ago, by the way, y'all. And it's, it's, it's still it's still coming there's a lot more that's going on Albert Birla just today the CEO of Pfizer said that we people need a fourth vaccine there, there's a lot of things that are going on uh, you know domestically that I think in my opinion to me are more important but if we're looking at the grand scheme of things, this push from uh, tech companies and the media, uh, well, I guess the not the right wing media, but but the right, you know, media in in the eyes of you know the corporate uh, powers that be, uh, hate for me, but not for the yes, super iron, Bob, you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Uh, I, I think that that's probably to. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, probably the most important thing, and I, I told everyone about Gabriel Weinberg. I told everyone about DuckDuckGo, and I can jump into that a little bit, or we could maybe do this on a different show. I don't know how much I don't know how much you want to get into it today, but uh, there are a lot of other uh, options. Uh, Quant is a great uh, is a great search engine. You've also got a Start Page, but really, realistically, there are no uh, guaranteed safe havens on the on the internet, and that's you know people. People have to keep actively staying on top of those things and don't just implicitly trust, uh, you know, search engines like DuckDuckGo because everyone's like, yeah, it's what I use, it's good. Don't don't just take people's word for it. You know, dig into these things because uh, that sort of that blind trust you put into companies, the the good ones, the the, the guys that are on your side, they're not. Uh, Gabriel Weinberg's uh, his his ultimate goal. When he started Duckgo Duck was not to you know create a a, a private uh, search engine. It, his, his stated goal was to become a uh, a legitimate competitor to Google. And again, the privacy centric search engine was a was a means to that end, but was not necessarily the that, that wasn't what he started out you know trying to do. And so just, you know, just to be be wary of your allies and the people that you think are on your side, because they're probably probably not, to be quite honest. Yeah.
2: yeah you know, what, what, when you were talking about how a lot of people just trusted Dr. Duck, Go duck, 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 because it's what people were told to trust, I immediately began thinking of a problem that's really going on, a sort of problem of knowledge that's really going on right now. That has been really going on since even before the digital age but especially it's accelerated by the digital, digital age and that is the outsourcing of knowledge you know search engines are what we call heuristics they're simply easy, uh, very easy ways for us to be able to interact and understand knowledge but the problem is when you use heuristics in a manner that they are not simply one tool but they are the only tool they, you're not using them for their proper function, and you can fall into very simple thinking. And that's the problem. When folks use, let's say, uh, a category to um, define something, but they don't actually investigate what that category might might mean beyond a simple definition. We're taking things at face value. So let's tie this in the, 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 the go. People are like, well, this is the, the search engine that is allegedly against the Google and the big tech and all that evil stuff. Kind of the same thing with Rumble and, and, and BitChute and Odyssey and all that kind of things. These are guys all against this kind of stuff. And yet, that blinds us to some of the flaws they may have and that and that and that causes us to uh uncritically accept those flaws even at a disadvantage to us and in for a wise man is he who is informed about the most amount he can be informed about and then he who makes a decision based off of that information a fool is he who simply takes a bit of information thinks himself wise for knowing it and then goes ahead blissfully going through the world without any uh, critical thought about that, so that's just that's a that's a real problem. It, it it's been going on for centuries. I mean, this is the same thing that happened before the Protestant Reformation, when people just trusted the church to say something and they believed it. Oh, the church said it. The church is God's authority on earth. We believe it. <laughs> then you know, Martin Luther came across and just busted that open with the uh, Reformation and everything. Um, and and but still, the same kind of thing happened in the 1940s, 50s, even before then, with American newspapers. If it was print printed in a newspaper, you believed it, you know. And then, in uh, then in the 60s, NBC, ABC, CBS. If it was put in those places, you believed it. Walter, Walter Cronkite, that old propagandist. If he said something, you believed it because it was Walter, Walter Cron- Cronkite. Come on. Then the digital age comes around, and independent media begins sprouting up. And all of a sudden, fact checkers become a big thing. All of a sudden, you know, authoritative sources of information try to clamp down on the conversation. And all of a sudden, what knowledge is, how you get knowledge, all of that is dispersed even more. And if it's dispersed even more, it's gonna be harder for you to know where to go. And it's just it just causes a lot of strain to our simple minds. So you have to go out and search and seek things, research things like L does. Most people don't do that. They'll look at an, an, an article, look at, look at a, a title of an article, and that'll be it for them. Oh, AP News reported? It? It's, tr- it's true. No, we're misusing heuristics. That's not good because that gives us very simple ideas of the world, and the world is not a simple place. No matter how much we want to make it a simple place, it's a very complex space with a lot of different interests, a lot of different factors, a lot of different uh, historical um, factors as well going into creating what's happening right now. And we have to – take it upon ourselves to understand
0: that in its depths or else we're going to be left behind. I think, I don't know if you, I, I assume maybe you realize this, but I think you just made an excellent argument for decentralization. Um, yes. because Oh yes. That's part of it. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. All right. Because when, when you have, when you have centrally, con- <laughs> when Washington controls what the entire country does, and then even gets involved in what other countries do around the world Things get so complex that it's basically impossible for 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 people to know enough information about what to do. But maybe your own town and your own school board, you can know enough about to be participatory and and make it the way that you think it should be, um, and and to follow some principles. But it's very difficult when you start to centralize um, control. And I I don't uh, yeah I don't I don't know what and- the solution to that is other than decentralization because humans. This is not a problem that's easily solvable. I mean, if we're going to be meddling in foreign countries, the average person can't possibly spend their time figuring, sorting through which is what propaganda from whom is true and what's false and what's, what's going on. And what like,
1: they, it's, it's an impossible
0: task.
2: Even skilled (laughs) journalists have a hard time doing that. It's a full-time
1: job. And then some.
2: Yeah. And so, Uh, yeah, yeah, it's difficult, you know? I consider myself somewhat of a journalist and even I am having trouble distinguishing the propaganda from, from what is actually going on in Ukraine. You know, thankfully there are other journalists that have been doing like Daily Mail has done some great work on this. They, they were, they exposed the Zelensky, uh, the, 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 the island. Remember the island thing where mm-hmm. those kids the, snake those tru- got snake out, they exposed snake Island. They exposed some of the pictures that, were from many years ago that showed uh, Zelensky in a military uniform. So there are some journalists doing some very good work, but a lot of it's crap. A lot of it's just crap.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, so to that end, you know, you're saying, well, it's AP News we can trust. I just want to, I just want to mention this, just because I think this is also important for people to know. Uh, in the mid 2000s, towards, I guess the, sorry. My mom is keeps calling me. I'm so sorry. Can I be right back? <laughs>
0: <laughs> be right I, back. We'll read I need to make sure that something's. I need to yeah, make sure things no, okay. What if there's sorry. an emergency? Go do that. All right.
1: I need yeah. to. I'll be right back.
0: Okay, yeah. uh, we'll read the super chat from Super Iron Bob, who says institutions have been coasting on the perception of expertise for a generation plus. We've lost the ability to qualify experts. I don't know an answer. Christian knows. Go. What's the answer to? Uh, everything? Uh, uh, you're funny. It? Oh God.
2: Um everything. I'm not look, man, I may be a, a, a philosopher, but I'm not a prophet. <laughs> everything, man. No. Um, so th- the problem of the expert, I think there's an answer to that. So we have to stop engaging what I call engaging what I call approximation. That is, seeing things for what they're associated with and not for their own merits. Fauci was considered an expert for two reasons. Number one, he was the director of the National Infectious Diseases, whatever it was. And number two, he was the White House's main mouthpiece for both the Trump administration and the Biden administration for the COVID response. He was associated with two prominent institutions. And those two things apparently made Fauci's word unimpeachable. Even though there were people who were just as qualified or even more qualified than Fauci in certain areas, people who had worked on the mRNA vaccine, had worked on all kinds of things, who had different perspectives. Whether you agree with them or not is immaterial to this argument. But they weren't associated with the institutions that Fauci were associated with. So their voices were deemed as rogue and bad. So what do we do? We stop viewing people in light of what they do and instead view them for who they are are. Yes, Fauci's an epidemiologist or whatever, but what are his merits? What research has he put out? Are there people who disagree with him? If so, what's the basis of this disagreement? When these questions can be asked and they can be asked in a courageous manner by people in the field, people who have expert knowledge as well, then we can have then we wouldn't have The um, single-minded edicts handed down by the government about wearing certain kind of masks or uh, getting vaccines or shutting people down. We wouldn't have that because there are plenty of experts that fundamentally disagree with those prescriptions. But it's the institutions people like Fauci are associated with which gives them that extra edge over their compatriots. So we have to detach the expert from the institution and consider his words alone for what they are. If he makes a bad argument, him being an expert does not make up for that bad argument in any way, shape, or form, and vice versa. If he makes a good argument, him being an expert doesn't make his argument even better. It means his argument is good. You can verify arguments for their own on their own marriage without appealing to
0: someone's title or prestige. That's how we fix the problem of the expert, so to speak. I mean, I, I really like... I like what you're saying because I do think we have a, we're suffering a crisis of credentialisms. Generally Um, this person has X, Y credentials. Therefore what they say is correct. Um, And Mm -hmm. you know, when I think of the word expert now that you're saying this, I, I, I really think an expert doesn't need to be, they don't need you to know they're an expert. They can prove their expertise in conversation. Like their expertise is evident. Right. Like, yeah. if I go to a mechanic and I ask about my engine and I've got some problem and he can explain everything that's going on and show me how this is connected to that and why this problem is causing that, like, clearly, I don't know what else he's an expert at, but clearly he knows his shit. And I cannot, like, okay, that's he can demonstrate expertise.
1: A mechanic might and be a bad example, man.
0: Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. they'll, take you to the, they'll take you
1: to the cleaners. <laughs>
0: They will. Okay. No, yeah. But, okay. It, but, but I think. But I think. No. I think a mechanic is an okay example because yes, they can still take you to the cleaners. If you I think mechanics only get away with that if people shut off their, uh, their critical minds and they're like, okay, well, I'm just gonna okay. do what he says. If you ask questions and and at like ask them to demonstrate stuff, um, I think it's harder to do that. But maybe maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Well, okay. I just you know I see like credential <laughs> people. <laughs> What's, there's uh, like well there's uh, like the stanford epidemiologists who disagree with fauci for example and like there's this idea well, that one's to be trusted because they have this set of credentials and the other one sure. isn't and and really they should be able to have a conversation in front of us and demonstrate their expertise to us as listeners right? okay that i
2: agree but people don't not everyone knows though they may understand and this is a problem with the terms that we use in conversation. The terms that two epidemiologists, or non epidemiologists use, are not going to be immediately understandable or evident to the laymen. Right. There's That's a lot the of problem. jargon. So how do you evaluate so there's one thing about being proximal to knowledge. There's another thing about understanding knowledge, even independent of jargon, there's a lot of concepts that people talk about that escape most people because sure. it's specialized knowledge. So again, how do you how do you how do you handle that? And this is why the problem of the expert is a problem, because people outsource knowledge to the experts and h- expect them to handle it. And typically this can be fine, but when the expert, it, expert's knowledge is paired with government force, like Fauci's was, then I don't care what you know or, what, or how little you know. If you know about the promise of America, if you know about basic ethics, then you mm-hmm. ought to be stepping up and saying something. He may be an expert in diseases, but he is not an expert in moral theory. Falky clearly is not an expert in moral theory. If he was, he would make <laughs> horrible arguments he made. He's just uh, terrible arguments. I'm not saying that every person has to be a philosopher in the government. I'm not – it would be damn nice, actually, if that was the case. But I'm, I'm not saying that that has to be the, ha- the case. What I'm saying is expertise is not ubiquitous. It's not universal. It's specialized. That's why it's expertise. So we can say that Falky's an expert. But his expertise is coming into contact with the law, with the ability to force people to do things, and all Americans who are children of the revolution who are, and, and those who understand the principles of our Constitution, they are, quote-unquote, experts in that thing because they live it out every day in their lives. And they can then come in and say, hey, no, no, the moment my liberty is at stake is the moment your expertise hits a wall. That's what we got to keep saying. we got to assert our expertise in living. People don't think that in living. If you're still alive, you have some level of proficiency in living. Not everyone does. Some people are on drugs, strung out and everything. I'm not
0: saying. But most people, upstanding people do. No, I think I think you're right. I think the I think you're 100% correct. The issue is the expertise issue might be messy in a free market where people are voluntarily making decisions, but that's a mess that you can sort out however you want in your own way. And it doesn't affect anyone else. When you couple it with government use of force, when you couple it with the ability to initiate the use of force, um, that's when it becomes very deadly. Right. And that's what we do with and, and yeah. that actually is progressivism as defined in the late 19th century. It's it's a technocracy. It's this idea that we will have a bureaucracy of of specialized experts and we will grant them power over the gun of government to make sure that you mm-hmm. obey whatever their expertise uh, dictates. Um, and that and that's mm-hmm. where we go. Right. Mm
2: mm-hmm. no, I, I I think so entirely. I think so entirely. Although. And I think I think when the progressive era came around in the 1900s, the pretension of progressivism, whether it be Teddy Roosevelt trying to hijack certain lands to be federally protected lands, whether it be Woodrow Wilson um, establishing the Federal Reserve, the pretension was not just that we have these experts. The pretension was, I know it's better for you in this world, and we're going to bring back our vision through force like. I, oh, if yeah. Vogelin described Vogelin described this th- th- this 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 phenomenon very well. He called it emanatizing, and this was actually this was actually Buckley quoting Vogelin, but this is the same concept that Vogelin put in, called emanatizing the eschaton and bringing your idea of heaven onto earth and ignoring the bare facts of reality. That's what I see the progressive error as, and that culminated into the New Deal, Great Society, and then just completely we're, we're seeing the effects of all of it downstream right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think it, I'm thinking more of the, like the late 19th century when the progressive era was just starting, but that was yeah. explicitly what they were saying. Yeah. We want a, we want, we want expertise to have institutional power because we can fix things and make, bring this utopia on earth. And what that utopia is, is uh, a giant bureaucracy of experts that manage the lives of people and do it well. According to quote, I they were saying it was scientific, right? But yeah. this was the, this was the the app. They viewed it as the application of science to government in the same way that the Marxists viewed Marxism as the application of science to government, which I think is is an incorrect application of science. But that was their justification and view. the Marxist had it had the uh, the dialectical materialism as their backdrop,
2: right? Um, yes, well, Marx never prescribed anything. Marxists did. Just very odd. Marx, Marx just described things. It was, an, it was entirely descriptive. There was this dialectical materialism. Yes, that is guiding the destiny of the of the of, of the proletariat, and there's this class dynamic that's going to happen, and one side's going to win out, and the other, and this will establish the society. It was entirely descriptive.
0: Um, it was the application. I mean, it was it was largely. I don't. I mean, I view it largely as an extension, like uh, based on. So he, you take Hegel, and then you say, okay, well, right. how was that manifest politically? And like that's kind of where Marx is going. Yeah,
2: yeah, but still, I think Marxists take Marx too far, take him further than he took himself. Interestingly enough, but that's a different topic. A Different topic.
0: <sighs> yeah. All right. Well, El, it sounds like your your parents are alive and well. That's good. Uh... Yeah,
1: my mom just wanted to. She wanted to hang out this afternoon and um, called me four times to let me know that. So sorry, I had to step out for a second. Lots, I lots just, of love. You All know, right. uh, better to verify that everything else is okay than to let the phone ring off the hook or she'd you know show up at my house and start banging on the door making sure i myself am not dead so there we go sure. so, sorry i don't re-
0: you were you were starting to bring us down some probably a rabbit hole but i don't even recall what it was exactly at the time we well, kind of got off subject
1: that's all right i was ju- i was actually just enjoying uh kind of absorbing the conversation seeing, you know, what you guys are talking about. I One of the things that we were talking about decentralization of information and 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 decentralization just more so in general. And, uh, you know, what is happening to the Russian people right now? Uh, if they'll do it to them, they'll do it to you. I mean, we saw the trucker convoy in Canada, how quickly those people were hunted down and, and turned into public enemy number one by their own government. Um So I think that decentralization and continuing to make yourself more resilient uh, is never a bad thing. Oftentimes, myself included, I learned a very hard lesson. I was, uh, I I gained a platform overnight. It grew very rapidly between the course of about uh, like late March of 2020 to about i guess it was mid-november of 2020 i i gained about 115,000 followers out of nowhere and you know kind of scrambled to like deal with that but then i got deplatformed overnight and um thanks to some very uh supportive people who encouraged me to can to keep going and to to seek alternative platforms originally it was parlor and then now it's gab uh, i i learned that lesson but you find you'll find that a lot of people enjoy their 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 Ease of use and and comforts, and and what they know, and and won't embrace alternatives until it's their only option. And so, uh, I think that if these sort of wake up calls haven't shaken people out of their stupor, where they realize that you could be debanked, you could be you know removed from social media, you could be uh, you know potentially arrested as a dissident, uh, you know for having the wrong opinion down the line. If that hasn't, if that doesn't you know scare the shit out of people and have them seeking alternative uh you know methods of just about anything or at least having a backup plan uh i don't know what will but what i was going to all of that aside uh we're talking about how people say well the ap reported it or cbs reported although cbs is super unhinged but um it's very interesting and in the i guess it's hard to place it on the timeline, but I guess mid two thousands to mid twenty tens, uh, there existed kind of a decentralized information network. It was you know kind of what's referred to now as the blogosphere, where a lot of individuals had their own sites, whether it was hosted through maybe you know Exanga or, or Blogspot or whatnot, or maybe even self hosted. You would go to individual websites and read articles or or, or thought pieces on on whatever. And uh, oftentimes in the sidebar, it would say, "You know, this is part of our little network. You know, visit these other sites." And interestingly enough, I always thought that that sort of format of of you know personalized website, personal websites, uh, kind of just phased out naturally with the advent of social media. But it turns out that it was killed intentionally by social media. For example, I cannot remember the name of the of the I guess major uh, like blog. Uh, company right now and i'll think of it in a blogger. second
0: google bought blogger
1: uh, but who did twitter buy that's what i'm thinking i'm what I'm trying to think of right now and i can't who think of it twitter, twitter bought one and google bought the I other know. and so originally you know now if you go if you go to twitter i'm no longer on twitter aside from i have an account just for like you know ease of searching for things but i, I refuse to give that site any more of my own you know like my content for them to reap ad revenue off of i feel like that's ridiculous um if you go onto Twitter now, though, you see on the on the right side, there's the, the news feed, right? That used to be uh, powered by one of the, I, I can't remember the name of, the, I'll think of it as soon as I'm not thinking of it. Um, it used to be powered by one of those uh, kind of blogosphere type uh, okay. media resources. And over time, uh, Twitter began phasing it out, which kind of brought... Uh, helped bring that era to an end and, and, and thus the same with Google, uh, I'm not quite sure the exact means which Google did it, but of course they did it. Uh, and so now, I mean, granted, I know that my website URL, which is somebitchtoldme.com, told me.com. I know that, you know, upon initial, uh, upon initial, uh, you know, reaction to it, a lot of people are like, I'm not gonna, like who gives, <laughs> like, I'm not gonna trust anything. I read from some bitch told me.com. I get that. Uh, it's kind of a sniff test, uh, if you don't like that, you're not gonna like me. It kind of is what it is, uh, but we oftentimes might find ourselves being very in, like very mistrustful of an independent uh, blog or you know individual website because you're like, well, like who the hell are these people? But if you really think about it, that sort of mistrust in individuals and in, in, mistrust in uh, independent media and research, uh, is not a thought that we all, you know, might have originally had. It's something that was kind of ingrained into us. It's like, uh, yeah, I don't know what this site is. I'm not even going to give it the time of day. And I'm certainly not saying you should just read anything you see on some random blog spot or, or individual website, but, uh, to not, lend any sort of you know even consideration to them as something that again was was that was implanted there by big tech and the media in general Uh, that that side oh here comes my cat uh (laughs) that that sidebar originally was made up of individual uh writers and whatnot and as, as as twitter began to grow uh they phased that out and then replaced it with the establishment media it's just kind of interesting how these things happen over time i always thought the blogosphere as we know it ended organically and it did not and, um, that's somewhere else was going to go with that, but now I've lost my train of thought. So I'll well, find I it. I mean,
0: I, what do you think about this? It seems like, so I've kind of thought that we're going to have to go through before. So I know when, when people started going to alternate sites like parlor or gab or whatever oh, parlor, um, right. People thought, <laughs> Oh, we're going to go to this new thing. That's, this is where the new, this is the new thing or it will be. I, I, um, I predicted and I'm not sure that I should stand by it. Cause I'm not sure it's true, but I, I still think it's probably going to happen. I think we're going to have to go through a phase of decentralization before we go back into, like, I don't think that we're going to jump from one set of uh, trusted sources to a new set of alternative trusted forces. I think we're going to have to go back through a, a, a phase of decentralization. And and I'm see you're seeing that a little bit now with, like, Substack, where you have individual reporters like Glenn Greenwald and Barry Weiss, who their brand is themselves, or I guess uh, Max Blumenthal is another one, like... I don't, I trust them. F- I mean, in, in the context of what I know they report and what they do, like they have, they have my trust because they've consistently done this. And it's one person. So it's not, it, no one's saying it's on Substack, trust it. Right. That's not a thing. Everyone knows that's not a thing. It's, oh, Glenn Greenwald is saying this. Right. Okay. That's that person matters. And I think it's much harder to build personal trust and it's, and it's, uh, it, it may be more difficult for people to navigate but mm. uh i think i think that's kind of where we're going right now D- do you guys think i'm crazy for thinking that or or no. do you see that
1: i certainly no. hope that that's the direction we're moving in
2: but exactly so. what's going on yeah i mean i i okay 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 I me not say that because i think a lot of us people who are plugged in and who are really involved in the online political space overestimate just how much impact what we're doing has on average everyday people, many of whom are apolitical, many of whom might care more about their favorite TikTok star or Instagram influencer than they do about politics. So let's let's not speak too broadly because we'll set ourselves up for disappointment that way. Having said that, among people who are politically observant, I don't know. I won't, I'm not going to con- con- speculate about percentages, but I do know that there are a growing number of people that are, I mean, and the numbers show this, trusting podcasters and YouTubers over news networks for their news. I know that. There's a growing number of people. Podcasters and new YouTubers are are getting more views than most primetime news stations get. Joe Rogan, for example, things of that sort. So that's happening. And There is a shift going towards that, but Even the independent journalists still get their stuff from AP News, from ABC, CBS, from the mainstream sources. And, again, I was thinking about this while while, while we were talking about the other thing. I was thinking about this. It's not a bad thing to have these mainstream sources because, again, they are heuristics. But the problem is when you use a heuristic as the only tool in your toolkit – that means you're getting an oversimplified view of everything. So it's not a bad thing to have the heuristic because without heuristics, human beings wouldn't be able to really – civilization wouldn't be incredibly difficult. In fact, almost everything around our life is heuristics. Cars are heuristics for for traveling. Uh, I mean almost every tool we have that makes our life easier is a heuristic. So the point is this. We should be encouraging people to go to mainstream publications maybe, see their narrative, then cross-analyze it with how other people are interpreting it and then try to see if they can piece together some idea of what the truth is. Um, this is what a lot of alternative media does. This is what Tim Poole does over at TimCast. He literally reads articles from mainstream places, then he analyzes it and adds a bunch of history to it, and that's his thing. So I, I, I think that's probably the best way to do things because it's going to be impossible to avoid mainstream publications entirely.
0: Yeah, although I would say I lend credibility more to – not to blow smoke a bell's ass, but like I lend credibility more to people who are like, well, here are the sources. Here's the source material that I got this from. And I think what's happening with mainstream media is my – I used to use them as a heuristic in in many ways. Like, well, CNN said this and ABC said this. Maybe the narrative's wrong, but some basic facts are probably correct and blah, blah, blah. And now it's almost – they make it – they've they've destroyed their reputation not only by continually to lie but continuing lying but they've because they hide primary source material uh I'm less likely to take anything they say at face value if L writes an article about something and links to her sources I can go look at her sources and I can be like well yeah. L you misrepresented this or but but like but she's willing to do you know I'm not saying that she does misrepresent stuff, but like I can go make that determination for myself and say, "Oh, well, she's forgetting this source or whatever." It's very hard to get primary source material, and I don't, I don't know. W- without primary source material, you basically have to start piecing together n- narratives from people that, you know, I mean, there's the Aristotelian mean doesn't mean it's like that's a fallacy. It's not. It's not. It's, it's not how you get data like you, you don't get the truth by saying well you know this side says that and that side says that so they're like there's probably some synthesis of the two maybe they're both completely wrong
2: yeah no uh, yeah no I, I i don't i
0: don't
2: yeah i don't believe in the golden mean in any respect i don't believe in terms of ethics this was the original sense that aristotle meant it and i don't believe in it i'm a strict deontologist i believe in principle first duty first everything else second so i i, I agree with you on that but what i'm saying is Having a bunch of knowledge together, having a bunch of different sources for a particular subject is not necessarily embracing a mean. It's simply embracing a wide variety of, uh, of reporting about that subject and then trying to come together to a solution, right? Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you simply have one article or one person's reporting... It's possible that person got something inter- incredibly wrong, which may not be immediately evident. But in someone else may be pointing that out because you know all human beings have different geniuses, as, as Henry David Thoreau said. All of us have different geniuses. We all are good at certain things and we're bad at certain things. And this is why the principle of specialization is so important. So it's not golden mean per se. It's simply recognizing what you're good at, and then you know being humble in the face of that. Um, Keeping in mind some of the limitations to some of the reporters you're reading, because even Gle- Greenwald has limitations, all of them have limitations, even Eddie Sullivan, Barry Weiss all have limitations, recognizing that and, and, and engaging your mind in what you're reading. And sometimes, just another complication, the mainstream news sources are the primary source material. If the State Department gives an exclusive, exclusive statement to some of these networks, they're the primary source material. So then the question becomes, okay, how much can we trust you? And that's not about. That's not simply about them being procedurally in error, i.e. not listing primary source materials. That's about you not trusting the integrity of the organization, which is entirely valid, but it's two different things. Because anyone can list mm-hmm. their sources, but not, you, you, you can't list your trust. You have to earn trust from the reader. So there's, yeah. this is multi-level deep. There are multiple levels of, of engagement we have to knock out here if we're going to analyze the relationship between how the media portrays knowledge and how we receive knowledge and how we understand the world. Yeah.
1: I, I, I think to that end though, you might be setting an impossible standard uh, for something. I mean, you're 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 demanding something, or not maybe not demanding something, but you know, listing primary source material and trying to do, you know, the best you can with what you have is really the best any of us can do. Uh, there have been plenty of times where I have learned new information and changed my mind, uh, and I'm not saying that I'm some golden standard by any means. But I think All that right. it's it's important to watch actions and not words. And something that I, I make an effort to do is when I learn new information or I do change my mind, I, I document it and and I, and let people know rather than just kind of going, oh shit, I got that wrong. Oops, I'll just like right. bleed this it right correction right right um but right. well it, issued corrections aren't necessarily like you see a lot like uh, uh, the big uh, attention grabbing headlines you know they'll issue a correction 2 weeks later that nobody reads on the same article nobody nobody's reading an article from 2 weeks ago aside aside you know from people like me who spend way too much time archiving everything that they see and, and take in but even yeah. uh, you know independent media is it is being hijacked we saw just a few days ago the white house you know uh apparently briefed uh like what 2030 tiktok stars on the 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 uh ongoing events in ukraine uh something that i would uh, like to take a second to to bring everyone's attention to as well is that you uh which it's it's no secret that uh which i'm going to drop a link in the private chat again uh it's no secret that that YouTube in general has become a lot more of a, a, a kind of corporatist uh, and, and, and commercialized entity the, the kind of the there was like the original belief that you, you know anybody can make it on YouTube uh, but this is a this is a this is branded entertainment network uh, Ben. Branded Entertainment Network is an AI driven product placement company that was founded by none other than uh, Bill Gates. Who uh, is someone that I'm, I'm fascinated with and continue to look into? Branded Entertainment Network is is it's about uh, influencer marketing and how to basically sell to people without having them realize that they're being sold to. And uh, this is uh, this is in everything from your, I guess I, I use the word favorite kind of loosely here, but your favorite late night talk show hosts to your favorite YouTubers to no. Uh, random, uh, you know, shows, particularly on, on Netflix, they have agreements with, I believe, Hulu as well, and Amazon Prime. But again, this was mm-hmm. something that was devised by uh, Bill Gates. And this is a way to sell to people without having them realize that they're being sold to. And so even, and and it's kind of the common issue that, you know, just to, to just totally talk about myself for a second, it's kind of a, a common issue that I run into is that, Uh, you know, I would like to make a living, uh, and, and be able to afford, you know, my house payment and, and, and I drive a 1997 Nissan Maxima, you know, for anybody who don't get it twisted, you know, I'm not certainly not getting rich, uh, but, but people who want to make money doing what they do, I can't fault them for that. But in order to do that, oftentimes you'll have people who will compromise, uh you know what they're allowed to say who they'll work with what you know what they're what they'll allow others to say i guess within maybe their own little uh, news network and and they'll self-censor or or let other people edit what they say and uh it's even independent media or what is what is perceived as independent media oftentimes isn't and the thing that's so insidious about things like branded entertainment network these uh these Uh, groups that work on influencer marketing is that while they're they're legally supposed to mark when things are ads by using like hashtag ad, which is hilarious uh, to me, Mm -hmm. oftentimes they just won't. And there's the, the internet is so vast. And is so full of new content at a constant basis that to uh, actually enforce those, uh, you know, regulations and laws and, and, and to enforce fines and things like that for not disclosing when you're being paid to say something is, is damn near impossible. But simultaneously, uh, they'll, they'll have all the time in the world uh, on platforms like YouTube to, uh, you know, to silence even just open conversation about things uh, even if it's even if someone's not say uh, if someone's leaving their own opinions or, or thoughts out on the matter you know you couldn't even for a while discuss uh adverse you know vaccine reactions or or things and actually more important or well I guess more relevantly for for now and actually let me pull this up really quick this is something that uh, that oh, where'd you go where'd you go where'd you go uh youtube's uh little group here put out just the other day and now of course i can't find it give me one second where they where they basically said uh anybody who uh trivializes or (laughs) okay here, here we go okay i'll drop this i'll drop this link in the uh private chat here real quick so youtube just the other day uh on their it's youtube insider they've they've changed their community guidelines uh which is this is definitely uh disastrous they say our community guidelines prohibit content denying or prohibit content denying minimizing or trivializing well-documented violent events we now we are now removing content about Russia's invasion of Ukraine that violates this policy. If you keep going, they say, in line with that, we are now also blocking access to YouTube channels associated with Russian state-funded media globally, expanding from across Europe. The change is effective immediately and we expect our systems to take time to ramp up. Since our last update, our teams have now removed more than 1,000 channels and over 15,000 videos for violating not only our hate speech policy, which is a nebulous and constantly moving target, but also our policies around misinformation, right. graphic content, and more. Our systems are connecting people to trusted news sources so far our breaking news and top news shelves on our homepage have received more than 17 million views in ukraine in addition we recently paused all youtube ads in russia we've now extended this to all the ways to monetize our platform in russia again these are people who uh you know there's there's oftentimes not a lot of love lost for people who make a living uh by creating internet content because people who uh you know, consume internet content are oftentimes not paying for it. But they've, they've cut off, again, this is a, a nearly 150 million people that live in this country. And, uh, you know, I, I can't, I got to imagine there's at least like three, you know, inf- uh, you know people who, who make their living uh, with YouTube in Russia. And they've just completely cut them off. And again, they, they close out. Our teams continue to closely monitor the situation. We're ready to take further action. We'll continue to share updates as they become available. And so now you've got anybody who's still on YouTube. Uh, who 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 saw this change in policy and and, and change in, in in their those ever-changing uh you know creator content agreements uh that they're going to self-censor in, a, in an effort to uh circumvent their own ban and so even if they're not necessarily in agreement with what's going on at YouTube uh, and i say this uh, like I, I get it but if, if you're still streaming on youtube and and not afraid and not willing to discuss things be- at risk of losing your channel, then you've already lost. And right. um, you know, well, if you've been if you've been deplatformed and lost it all once, it's 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 terrifying. But once it's happened to you multiple times, I'm like a you know, like a, like I've been canceled no less than like four dozen times at this point. And like it becomes it start it stops losing its impact on you. But I, I think that those sort of things are it's just terrifying and it, unlike Twitch which I do stream on Twitch which I'm by no means endorsing Twitch as a is the the solution platform but unlike Twitch YouTube like as we as we are talking right now there are certain things that if we said them this stream would be taken down almost yes. immediately because they have AI uh, driven and algorithmic uh, tools in which they are able to censor uh, or silence streams in real time which to a certain degree, in, in, a, in a in a vacuum, and that seems like a good idea, you know, to be able to, if someone is, you know, potentially like uh, committing, you know, acts of, of, of violence or, or, or is maybe about to commit suicide. On can- I don't know how those kind of things work. Like, yeah, that should be taken down. That shouldn't be, uh, you know, public viewing in my opinion, but you also run the risk of, you know, just mentioning certain names. There was a certain, you know, whistleblower, as uh, name that you couldn't say on YouTube for a while. I don't know if you can, uh, you know, uh, say his name anymore. Like, and, and the, yeah, while, while YouTube has that tw- Twitch doesn't, which is why for the time being, that's one of the places where I stream, but it's a constantly moving target and, and people are cheering for this. It's really, you know, the appeal to authority that we were talking about earlier, the, the, uh, meritocracy that we find ourselves and you have people who are you know well where is your degree in you know medicine or where is your epidemiology uh, degree or who have you worked for and by all means I think it is valid to uh, question perhaps maybe the amount of time that someone has put into learning about something or what where this knowledge is coming from, but you also run the risk of, you know, getting a bunch. Of, like by by no means does having a Ph.D. mean that you're an intelligent human being. It just means that you're capable of, you know, going to a, a school and and whether it's a diploma mill or not. I don't know. Like this yeah. this appeal to authority is very is honestly very dangerous. There's so many people who never finish their degree who know vastly more. Uh, you know, then I do. I have a degree. It's in English. That doesn't mean I know shit. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. Sorry. sometimes I just get rambling. No, Never I mean,
0: I, look. Wind up. <laughs> so. I, there's a lot there. I think the first thing I need to say is I suddenly want Cheetos. So thank you <laughs> for that, Al. Wait, what are you?
1: Um, why do you want Cheetos?
0: Oh, they were the the product placement in your your uh, your Ben thing was <laughs> it works. Cheetos. So,
1: okay, but that's a rabbit hole and a half. Bill Gates branded entertainment uh, network. If y'all if any of y'all like to look, just look into things, look into that. It it goes so ridiculously deep. It's insane. So, I'll leave it off. So, there. I'm not
0: I guess the other thing I want to say though is I'm not sure how this problem is necessarily solved. So, like for us for example, we stream we stream on YouTube, but sometimes we have conversations where we know we can't. So, like we had a book club about the real Anthony Fauci and we we basically just said, "We're not on YouTube for this discussion because we can't have this discussion at right. all without losing our channel. So we had it elsewhere, but it's like something that I've struggled with from the very beginning. I, you know, I never wanted unsafe space to be a cash cow and, uh, I make zero dollars and it owes me money. So it's not a cash cow. (laughs) I succeeded with that. Um, but, um, It's also not unreasonable
1: where if you wanted to put like turn this into a full time thing, it's also not unreasonable to want to seek ways to be able to make that a a reality, you know, like,
0: right. So I'd like to be able to hire people and do more stuff and like, like, I'd like to be able to do something with this. But there's something that I've always struggled with from the beginning. And it's a conversations we've had internally is like, well do we take advertising money? Like, do we try and get a sponsor? Like, there, there are wrong thinkers like Steven Crowder who, for example, will get, like, a sponsor for something. Or, like, people do that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm always concerned with, like, well, we're already kind of censoring a little bit because we're on YouTube. Do we want to, like, add another dimension of, like, well, now we have to worry about our money coming from our sponsor and blah, blah, blah. But then you have to rely on people just voluntarily donating, which is super not easy to do right like very (laughs) few people even if they watch regularly donate so and thank you by the way to those who do but like it's very hard to do And, and the questions like that i guess gives you more freedom to say whatever you want i guess unless you piss off most of your audience and then they'll stop but like how do you how do you i'm not sure that i i'm a free market guy so i'm looking at the free market here and going how do you have a a media outlet trying to get trying to sort through the narratives trying to get it right as much as possible trying to give sources trying to do a good job if this demand side for that market just isn't there and i'm not sure that the demand side for that market is there at least not in dollars
2: well Well, so i'm sorry
1: oh i was uh we can talk about it after the show if you'd like but i will say this i have across all platforms i have about like around 250,000 followers or so and it's probably it it comes down to like individual donations of like $1 to $5 from a lot of people and then there's about 200 people or so that like fund most of it. <laughs> it's yeah. terrifying. It's terrifying. Uh but those you know like I used to be a financial data analyst. I made a lot more money then. Uh, don't get me wrong, but uh, it, it's terrifying and it's no guarantee. And there's, again, there there's, and I don't, I don't blame people for feeling this way because, to be quite honest, I feel the same exact way. But whenever people start, you know, asking for donations of content, I can say I'm like, I don't know, I don't feel like I want to send you anything. So like, yeah. like I, I get it. <laughs> like I totally yeah, get, no, it. I, I get it. Uh, it. It sucks. Yeah. It's a weird place to be stuck in. But
0: Christian, what were you gonna say? Uh, You're gonna solve right. my free market problem for me.
2: Uh, uh, again, I'm not I'm not a prophet, but <laughs> you know no, as, as someone and I contemplate this issue a lot, as someone himself was trying to establish an independent media venture off of his YouTube channel and his podcast, I I think about this all the time. You know, there are certain things that I understand I can't wade into because it goes against the the, the what what YouTube the YouTube establishment wants. But I also understand something else that is pretty important. This has been the case throughout history, actually. And this has actually been a lot lot of dissidents throughout history to survive. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. If you're going to be a bomb thrower or a polemicist, and you say something in the most extraordinary way, extravagant way as possible, you're going to get an extravagant response. Now, there there are actually people on YouTube, I forgot what her name was, but who have had alternative ideas about COVID, but they've expressed them in a way that doesn't explicitly refute the common narrative, but dovetails along with it and poses it as a question who have a lot of views, a lot of subscribers, they have not had a single strike. It's about how you approach things. I think the problem with us who research these things and understand a lot of things is that we want to say things as they occur in our mind. And the problem is You can only say them in your mind because you're the only person who you have to stand account for. Even forget YouTube, forget Instagram, forget big tech. Even if you say something in real life that does not compute with the beliefs of most people, you're going to offend someone. You're going to threaten someone, even if you didn't mean to. This has been a story throughout history. So it's all a matter of style, at least in terms of how you communicate this stuff. It's a matter of style. Uh, I still think YouTube is the best platform for people who want to get involved in any sort of new media, I still think I think it's good to diversify. It's good to have accounts on Odyssey and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's also good to realize that Odyssey and all those other platforms, their reach as of right now is incredibly narrow and limited um, compared to what YouTube can do. So unless you're someone like Dan Bongino, who already had a mainstream following and then went over to Rumble and it's what is following over there. That's different, though, because Dan Bongino built that following off of places like Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. <laughs> so, I mean, right. a lot of folks are pointing at him as a, as a creme de la creme, and that's not the case. He transitioned. He didn't begin there. When we have our first person who begins on alternative platforms and can arise to the level of someone who is in the mainstream consciousness, then I think we can say, all right, what is the methodology here? What is the method, as Descartes would say? What do we can we use here to get this same kind of thing? Until that point people are best off sticking with the mainstream platforms, diversifying and having their own website having, you know, all the kind of stuff um, that are not on the mainstream platforms, but just using the mainstream platforms as a tool, so to speak. That's my opinion. It may not be uh common sense to some people, but I think it is. And
0: that's how I do things. Yeah. Yeah. We, t- we try and skate that line on YouTube a little bit. I don't know that we're successful all the time because we do have a few strikes. Uh, that we get periodically, but we do try and be careful of how we talk about stuff. I've gotten one,
2: and that was quickly reversed. I was critiquing the idea of public health from a philosophical perspective by examining the origins and nature of health, and it got reported, and I got a strike, but I appealed it and said, no, I'm actually laying out a philosophical argument here, here's the basis for my points, and it immediately just fell off. Went away. Wow.
0: Style, oh. man. Good, good for you. Uh, our appeals generally go unanswered, but but you know we don't have too many. We're pretty careful. We're pretty careful. I mean, we have and again. You know, look, everyone's different, everyone right? Some, some videos and have, They're more of a threat, <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah. Let me let me read a couple super chats and then I want to ask you guys one another question. So uh, I know we're it's been a while. We're we're on an hour and a half. already. Brian uh, Polito says, uh, "Be like me, get your news from the Chans. Love you, L." Uh, The chans are tough to go through, man, The chans are.
1: Man, but here there's another, that's, that's honestly, as someone who is willing to parse through 4chan, uh, for information, uh, oftentimes the chans are on top of things well before uh anybody else is, and you'll actually see it ripple out from there if you're again this is this is my full-time job this is what i i do for a living i understand that there are plenty of people who do not have the time to uh to do that but you're not wrong although 4chan has definitely i think lost a little bit of its edge on on things just as but like oh yeah no fortune 4chan, 4chan gets a lot of love from me for sure um
0: S.T.E. York writes, here in the UK, it has taken just six months to go from slap a Nazi to please foster one. We're having the piss constantly taken out of us. It is it is interesting to me how during the during the Trump era, it was the Trump supporters are literal Nazis. And then you look at like the Azov Battalion and the same people are saying, well, it's a stretch to call them Nazis. It's like uh, if if that's a stretch, why were why were the Trump supporters Nazis? Uh, it's it's a tough pill to swallow. Jeremy Turner says thanks for the conversation, okay. loving the format, keep it up. And Rochelle Lindbergh says missed you, Ellen, gives you three hearts. Aww. I don't know who Rochelle Lindbergh is, but maybe you do. Welcome, Rochelle. Um. All right, let me let me ask you guys another question here, which I think. I want to make sure we get to our second question, but we may have already covered it, but I'm just going to put it out here officially so that if we haven't covered it, you guys can jump in. The second question is, what news story should we be paying attention to that isn't being noticed? Um...
1: So I I can go ahead and try, or sorry, was that addressed to Christian first or at me?
0: Whoever, it seems like no one, I I mean, I'll throw out an answer if you guys don't have one, but if one of you has something to say about it, please.
1: I I think that primarily, this is kind of a a broad brush answer to this, primarily people, you know, gas prices are kind of the like domestic news right now and, and inflation, but overall the the narrative on the mainstream, you know, across all, you know, sides of the political aisle right now has been so dominated by Russia and Ukraine that people have largely, and, you know, myself included, uh, I'm, be, I'm being, you know, analytical or critical of, of myself here as well uh, has been so dominated by Russia and Ukraine that domestically we've there, there's really not a whole lot of awareness about what's going on. And I mentioned earlier, uh, which there might've been reporting on this elsewhere or not. I'm not quite sure. Uh, My friend Corey over at coreysdigs.com did a write-up on this, but uh, just a few days ago in the Mississippi state Senate, a uh, Senate bill, it it failed, but that doesn't really necessarily mean anything. It just failed due to, I I think like it just kind of timed out. I don't know if that's the correct term, but uh, there are a lot of, there's a lot of legislation that's in, that's uh, trying to be pushed in a lot of different states right now uh, to continue uh, slowly but surely uh, slugging us down the line, you know, towards barreling us ever closer to the to the what's known as the Great Reset. Which uh, this was in as the Senate bill. I don't have the number in front of me, but I'll find it in just a second uh, to create a tri-state compact between Mississippi, Arkansas, and Tennessee uh, through. Uh, a company called Region Smart, uh, which you can just look it up. It's region Smart. I think .com or org uh, that would turn over the uh, the what the government exists to do in any one of those states over to a, a committee of non of, of non elected individuals uh, to be able to enact eminent domain to seize private property to create smart cities infrastructure for these you know green plans and there's this is happening all across the United States and this is kind of an ongoing thing. So for me, that's probably what I think people are likely not aware of the most. I don't know if that's necessarily a new story. It's just what's actually happening right now because region Smart's not going anywhere and it's backed by some very, you know, it's, it's, it's got BlackRock money. It's got a lot of foundation money. And I think that's something that if you, if you, don't know about just go go look at you can uh, go on your own you know state.gov website and and look for uh zoning and just go to a, there's usually a little a, a bulletin of kind of updates and zonings and things like that if you just dig into that just a little bit look at uh residential and commercial zoning and look at different things that are going on uh, this is so this is uh region smart uh bringing smart people together to build strong communities the tri-state compact which you see up there at the top the second one over um it's it's a the the initial agreement is between uh, da, 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 uh again arkansas tennessee and mississippi so people who say you know smart cities these things aren't coming my way uh you know that, that's going to hit the cities first no they're actually targeting uh you first and uh it's it's not it, it's it's actually terrifying to a imminent domain in and of itself is already a hot topic uh, you know, around my uh, sphere of the internet. Because uh, I, I bring it to people's attention all the time, eminent domain is, is a terrifying power of the government to seize private property. I believe it was in the state of New York a few years ago. A, a private farm, or, or you know, a, a private family farm, was seized to build a, a, a factory for Pfizer. They can determine that your private property is a blight, or even just that it would bring, uh, you know, economic revenue to the area, whether it's taxes or, or, or jobs uh, or, or whatever, and. This is this is continuing to happen. They want everyone cloistered into cities or smart cities. You see a lot of these, and, and and it's not it's there are exceptions to this rule. But if you live in a a more rural area and you have noticed over the last about five or so years uh, a lot of mixed use uh, areas being built. While I'm not saying that those kind of uh, areas are not enjoyable, you know, where you can, you know, walk down from your from your apartment down to shops or or restaurants or whatnot. If you if you look into the developers who built that, and then potentially look into the history of the zoning in that area, you you might unearth uh, kind of a, a good way to begin and look at. Uh, your local area to see who's behind these developments because those mixed use again i'm not saying that they're inherently a bad thing i'm saying that that's kind of a it's kind of the the wedge in the door to um, enacting a larger plan to cloistering people into smart cities and we're looking at homes that will you know homes homes that are being built in some of these areas they are they're they're outfitted from the start with uh, you know Amazon and Google technologies they're on a like the the smart grids and and while by all means you have the right to put whatever you know monitoring uh, mechanisms you want to in your own home uh, we're, we're we're rapidly hurtling towards uh, a cliff here as with with new developments and people people are largely unaware of it So I guess that's what's been on the forefront of my mind. And and then just the fact that domestic issues have taken a complete backseat uh, to Russia and Ukraine. So I'll shut up now.
0: I think you're right. They have. And you're, you're reminding me, I mean, we're, we're, you're almost, it's almost circling back to the decentralization argument when what we're seeing is more centralization we're seeing. Um, And and actually Christian talked about, uh, I guess the show you did where you were arguing philosophically against um, a collective health Sort of in a, a health, health being an individual, I'm paraphrasing, I hope I'm getting it right, but health, health being an individual attribute, an individual responsibility. And you're seeing the same thing with, um, with economics, where, well, we're gonna, and and this is why the knee jerk uh, maybe non-philosophical uh, reaction from a lot of people who don't necessarily understand it, but feel it's wrong. Is it like it's communism? This is socialism, like because because they feel that it's like oh this is you're collectivizing this stuff and you're putting all this stuff in 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 one locus of control, uh, so that you can optimize it somehow. Like like I'm a cog in your optimization machine, and if that means my farm gets uh, you know. Taken away so that a factory can be built or some apartments can be built or whatever, like it's all for the the quote public good and it's all part of that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's
1: uh, well, something that's interesting that's happening in Russia, which is a it's a very it's a it's a strong criticism I have of, of Russia right now. One of the which I understand that a lot has happened very rapidly to their economy and with different uh, businesses. Uh, you know, uh, disassociating and removing themselves from Russia. You know, there there has to be a, a solution to that. But uh, the Russian government has proposed, and many of these, uh, in many of these instances, where there's a gap in the market to uh, provide a state-run version of those gaps, and I find that quite scary for Russia in general. I think that. And I I might be assuming incorrectly here. uh, I think that people are are, are trying very hard to make sense of a lot of what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. And so they're like, well, who's the good guys and who's the bad guys? There truly are no good or bad guys in this all the way, one or the other. And uh, it's it's very important to make sure that we're being critical of of the actions of both countries. And again, state, state, corporations or state-owned corporations are are not the answer uh, in Russia either, in my opinion. Uh, And that's something to definitely keep an eye on. They'll do that shit here too. Sorry, pardon my French. No, I want to hear.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, A
2: few things. So um, I'll I'll get to the state corporation thing before I get a minute domain. Um, But that's very interesting because Russia is now linking up with China's financial network, which is uh, basically a credit card a financial services company, which is entirely ran by the Bureau and which, uh, interestingly enough, operates in over 100-plus companies, uh, countries. I'm probably lowballing the figure, but that's, that's a pretty liberal estimate, about 100-plus countries, um, including many countries that are in the EU. So it'll be interesting to see how that political dynamic turns out, because... If the West gets even more serious about sanctions on Russia and they see that Russia is using China's financial services system as a sort of cushion for their attacks, uh, they may go after Beijing, which would have even more of a higher cost on American citizens and the people of the West because China is a big economic engine as well. Um, but there's a reason why the, there's a meeting happening in Rome this week with the Chinese uh, foreign, one well, of the Chinese foreign secretaries, because I mean Beijing is being eyed now. Although it's interesting because Chinese is, China's financial services actually have a very small reach outside of China. Most of China's financial services are are, are country transactions. So it, it's not gonna it's not gonna go very well for Russia. But anyway, the point is uh, it's very interesting to see that state-owned corporations um, are trying to fill the gap where a creative private individual previously was. And of course, we understand that central planning and a lot of kind of stuff is just not, it fails not just because it requires force and enslaving people. It fails because there is a creative engine behind someone that goes out and willfully pursues a service that that is not rest in the heart of a bureaucrat who is anointed over a particular area, the government has illegitimately inserted themselves in. And in some of these totalitarian countries, that's a lot of areas, everything from agriculture yep. to commerce to building management to everything. Um, on eminent domain... You
0: know, Can we just pause for just a second before you go to eminent domain? Because in China in particular, one I think something that they've done that's interesting, though, is they've taken... like you know, WeChat Pay and Alipay are the two big payment systems. And a lot of people here don't realize that they're equivalent to kind of Apple Pay, except they're, for, they're ubiquitous. And they had them in China well before we had them here. And they yeah. have been trying to push them out to Europe and other places. And I think China's trying to solve this problem. Not that I don't agree with you. I completely agree with you about the pro- about the problem. But China's trying to mitigate that creative problem by saying, well, they're private companies. We just kind of give them we have kind of ultimate sway. We're going to stick some people from the Politburo in your, uh, in your offices, but, but, and we're going to help you when we when it's in our best interest, and we're going to stop you from doing things that we don't like you to do. But they're trying to kind of harness that, which uh, you do see Alipay and We and WeChat, uh, which is Tencent, I think, both kind of really trying to push their product out because they do have an in, they do have a a, a vested financial interest in doing it the companies do it's just that right. china also has a strategic interest in it and it's it's really almost more like fascism than traditional communism
2: it, well it's a para it's it's a parasitic interest right it's it's a very parasitic yes. interest and if, the, and if the state can install agents in your place of business and tell you how to run things um any economy you have is a, a Ill- illusory to say the least so right. I, that's why i call them state run because in, a, in, a, in effect Even if not in 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 law, in effect, they're definitely state run. But on the topic of eminent domain, um, it's interesting because the concept goes all the way back to days of the Constitution. the Constitution itself says that the government can take public land for private uh, private land for public use. Excuse me. uh, But the Constitution has a provision that says there must be just compensation. Um, Now that's a very that's very interesting because a lot of instances of eminent domain um, technically. There is a process to receive just compensation, but that process is hidden behind the laws of the judiciary, and that process typically requires lawyers and thousands upon thousands of dollars to take something that you may you may think that the government shouldn't be taking with eminent domain or its cousin, uh, civil asset forfeiture, which are two different things that achieve the same effect. <laughs> I mean, civil asset forfeiture is the government taking stuff they think, they think is used in the commission of a crime. They have no obligation to give that stuff back to you if they can prove that. Eminent domain is them taking something for public use. And the question is, what exactly is public use? And this is a. The, our founders had a lot of brilliant ideas. They were rooted in natural law, all kind of great stuff. But unfortunately, they fell. They fell victim to the same abstractions that have been guiding the West, or guiding, guiding, guiding the West or various countries in the West, rather, down a sort of quasi-dictatorial route. The idea of there being public use, the idea of a public good, the idea of a common good, are the abstract principles upon which this false idea of eminent domain rests. Upon if the foundations are corrupt, then surely the house must fall as well. So it's very interesting to see how eminent domain goes all the way back to uh, the days of the colonies, people who have supposedly loved liberty, who still, many of them still bought into the abstraction. And once we can break down these abstractions and show how they don't cohere to a concrete reality, and then show how our relationships with them are fundamentally toxic for that reason, I think we can go a long way in addressing the prevalence of these things like eminent domain in our society.
0: Yeah, I, I, the only the only part I would push back a little bit is abstractions are necessary and helpful. It's when they're untethered. It's when they're floating abstractions that aren't actually tethered well, to reality. No. They, they don't have a concrete. Yeah. Anchor. So, okay. um, yeah. And, and public domain has no concrete anchor. There is well, it's a it's a completely floating abstraction, which I'm, I'm if you say an anchor to reality undermines the idea of. Right. Uh, individual rights itself. Right. I'm not
2: saying that abstractions inherently are bad. When you think solely on abstractions, that's that that's definitely bad. And yes, um, some abstractions, by their very nature, have have no anchor in reality. Others do. And I wouldn't really describe them as abstractions. It's just a language thing with me. I wouldn't do that. Because Fair, again, there's, there's something they could correspond to in reality. This is one of the reasons why I like natural law. You know, that's why I'm a big believer in natural law theory. It's why I've spent a good majority of my philosophy career studying natural law theory because natural law is about what you can observe about the principles of nature human nature and the natural world and how those principles okay, uh, how ethic how good ethics can flow from those principles it's it's a it's a it's something that is rooted in what we can see rooted in, in in the nature of things something that has been around for thousands of years and thus it's the concrete reality that we can walk upon, whereas this what we have today, this sort of uh, this sort of uh, postmodernism and social justice and all these terms, and even before then, before then, even a, a modernity, communism, fascism, all these other terms, you know, they are all the the, the fog that floats above us, um, that you know, that we can't pierce because they have really no uh, strong anchor in reality. So I, I use abstractions almost solely in the former sense, where I'm talking about things that are, just by their uh, nature, abstract and not rooted into reality. And public is not really rooted into reality at all. Um, no,
0: I, I com- completely agree. I, I think yeah. it's an anti-concept philosophically, but yes.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Ayn I, I, Rand would totally would, 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 would agree with to you as well.
0: Yes, I'm sure I'm sure she I think I you sound like you've read some Ayn Rand because you're saying things like check your premises. So we'll have a conversation.
2: Yeah. On, on yeah, 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 I've read some Ayn Rand. She's okay. Yeah. Um I, I, I've 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 had a lot of exposure to objectivist literature and objectivists. They're fine. I don't I don't embrace their entire system. Um they're okay. Uh I, 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 yep. I like I like their economics. I like some of their moral philosophy. Although I'm a believer in natural law theory, and while Iran might have agreed with a lot of the conclusions of natural law theory, she didn't agree with its foundation or its basis, and she thought that natural law could be disproven by by disproving the existence of a deity or whatever. And so, I just her and I don't really agree much on that. I'm much more of a Lockean than I am a objectivist, but that's a different topic for a different day.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I get it, and that is a different topic, and uh, I'm I'm not an objectivist either, uh, but I'm not a Lockean but it's nice that we can get, I like Lockeans because we might, we get to some similar fundamental principles through different routes and we can disagree about how to get to them. But I think those are the principles that were the core foundations of Western civilization that need to be preserved and expanded. And, and they were implemented in, inconsistently as you point out in the Constitution in other words there are some inconsistencies or some errors in the implementation but I think that's the conversation we really need to be well, having well, I must uh, ask you before we proceed what do you consider yourself are you an anarchist of some sort or are you uh, uh, i I well that's a political statement I am an anarchist but not in but it's a very nuanced anarchist I would say uh, I think the question of politics i Ethically, I'm about individual rights, and I think the application of individual rights in the in the in the realm of politics is not a simple solution. And I think that uh, ultimately, culture and philosophy and psychology need to change so that people understand and embrace and embody the the ethics of individualism before you can really support any kind of uh, society that that is individualist. So uh i would argue that the political system is not irrelevant but um subservient to the culture if if we lived in a, if we lived under a king but everyone believed in individualism we would have a much freer society than if we live in a constitutional republic but everyone is a postmodernist which is where we are now or some variant of that and so i but everyone I, I, is <laughs> Yeah. So, so that's kind of my my anarchy is like somewhere down the road, humans should be able to do this without a government. In the meantime, what we really need to do is solve our our ethical and uh, philosophical and frankly psychological issues as a as a community, so we can move into into that direction. If that makes so sense. So
2: your political project is experimental. It's experimental. Being able to test these things, being able to solve these things, and then get to the ultimate end that you want basically.
0: And I'm more focused on philosophy and culture than I am on a particular political solution, although I will I will support anyone who is moving in generally the direction of the goal of this politics is individual rights, which generally involves reducing the size and scope and power of the government and blah, blah, blah. So I, I'm on the same page as a lot of libertarians and those kind of people for for very practical reasons. But at the end of the day... I'm not convinced that that's going to be the solution that... Your
2: ethics will say than a Lockean's would or, a, or an objectivist would. Your right, ethics go a little bit further to a different conclusion, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, interesting. Well, yeah. And anyway. That, that could be it. So, sorry, Al. Sorry, we bored yeah, you. Sorry, I No, 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 no. no. <laughs> sorry,
1: I probably look disinterested. I'm just trying to listen, like just be an active listener, and sometimes yeah. I find myself staring just at something while I listen. But no, I'm very much... Despite not looking, so I actually am quite actively engaged in listening to what y'all have okay, to say. I'm,
0: I'm, I wasn't trying to accuse you. I just, uh, I felt bad because we kind of went off on a tangent there. Let me right. read a couple of super chats here. Um, <laughs> Francis Montgomery says, hey, Carter, did you figure out what rumble, rumble rants are yet? Yeah, rumble rants are super chats, but for rumble. However, rumble rants are better because they take a smaller cut and are less evil than Google. I know I have to figure out how to enable them and actually get, the, I have no one, you guys don't know this, but I have a crappy piece of software that I cobbled together that saves all the super chats on YouTube for me. I have to like add Rumble to that so that I can see it all in one spot. So I don't have a bunch of different windows, but I will work on that. I want uh, that. Uh, I'm going to package it up and, and and put it out there somewhere. Right now it's too tightly integrated with other crap and it's a mess, but I'm going to package it up and give it to people because I think people want it. You yeah. lose super chats. Yeah. Um, another... Need- I want Super it. chat from Rochelle Lindbergh or whatever rumble rumble rants. Smart health card and HR 550, Rochelle says. Is that uh for anyone? L <laughs> or Christian, do you know what you're talking about? Smart Health Card and HR550. What happened? Sorry, I by zoned oh, out. Yeah,
1: huh? yeah. So, so that is a uh that was a uh a a bill that was introduced into the uh it's the 2021 Congress. Uh it's I believe still in committee right now, it's uh, a, uh, it's wearable smart technology for vaccines. It's a, it's the ultimate guise of that is to modernize the vaccine infrastructure and tracking infrastructure. Uh, If you really dig into this a little bit further, Rochelle, there's um, movements from the Rockefeller Foundation um, and, and and others, which you saw a little bit of this up in the Pacific Northwest of, of wearables to monitor, uh, social distancing. There was some high schools that were doing wearables for athletes who were not vaccinated, but, uh, to, you know, determine whether or not they had, they were staying uh, apart or had come into contact with people. So it, it's a, it's a multifaceted and almost intentionally vague, uh, a house, uh, Bill, but as of right now, I let me uh, the. I think most recently, I I think it's still. uh, It it's it's been uh, passed and agreed on in the house, and I don't. I don't think it's moved on from that. Uh, But it's definitely one to keep an eye on. I have a lot of bill trackers that I have uh, going.
0: I, I find that a little bit disturbing. Visidious says in terms of stories that aren't being paid attention to, Jelaine Maxwell's conviction is in jeopardy. a juror is in trouble for possibly lying on his jury questionnaire. I that's know
2: such that. a
1: it's, it's such a technicality. it's that uh one of the uh, I believe the what 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 they're trying to you know they're trying to find any sort of anything that they could exploit here and i believe it's one of the jurors uh, uh their, one of their family members happens to be law enforcement uh is what they're trying to to nail it down to i have not checked on that in the last maybe 4 or 5 days so if if i'm incorrect or if something else has developed from that uh, i'm not quite sure but uh they are just picking apart every single little thing and uh, apparently they were it was something that was either um, i guess Partially or incorrectly answered during like the original, uh, questioning. But, uh, you know, just like, uh, what Jeffrey Epstein and now, uh, uh, was it, uh, Brunel, you know, they both, you know, Mm -hmm. didn't get, have totally killed themselves
0: with the cameras off. Yep. (laughs) Oops.
1: Not very good at winking. Uh, this, you know, the. They're they're doing their best to get her into a position where she can. I'm assur- I'm assuming probably also kill herself. <laughs> so uh, it's definitely one to watch for sure. Kind of like uh, well y- we y- y- y'all saw which you know people were making fun of him and maybe there's a little bit of my bleeding heart still in there. But the other day during a uh, Jesse Smollett's sentencing, you know, he said I think I counted it live on my stream. I think he said about 14 times in the span of about. minute and a half you know i am not suicidal and people are making fun of him for being super dramatic but i think that in instances like that when you look at the uh was it the 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 lynching uh actor or the you know the things the the legal and and governmental aspects that they tried to make coincide with the jesse smollett thing and the people that you and granted I'm just a crazy conspiracy theorist and I can't prove any of this but the people that he's uh, you know been involved with and rubbed elbows with uh, I kind of think that he very well might be fearful for his life or you know whether or not he's big enough potatoes to actually be taken out in in, in jail or whatever it, it remains to be seen obviously but I, I think he genuinely is very fearful of the machine that he uh, you know uh, allowed to uh coerce him into trying to pull a psyop.
0: I just assumed that he had some information on Hillary Clinton, but um look, I I think he's now in psychiatric care is the last I read. So, I my my guess about him is that he's he does have some psychiatric issues, but who knows? I don't know. Yeah. I, I could be wrong. Uh-huh. I
1: I fundamentally believe that anybody who seeks celebrity uh as 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 their uh primary goal i i fundamentally fundamentally believe that there's some screws loose there uh with anybody and whether or not that makes them a, a good or bad person like you know it's, it's not that simple but uh to to subject yourself and to make yourself a uh a public figure in that way and have that be your goal is just like you've got to be some sort of like have some sort of narcissistic or borderline personality disorder not to, you know, History I'm honest. not, a, I'm not a doctor. I don't know, but <laughs> trust. Yeah, I the don't stand.
0: know. I don't know, but it's, it, it does take a particular kind of personality. We can at least say that much. Um, Hi Paul. And not everyone has that uh, constitution to do that. I don't. Uh, Paul said says, but it doesn't matter that one of the Chauvin jurors was literally a BLM activist. No, probably. doesn't. Th- no. That's
1: different. Because, That's you know, funny. they're the good guys. Yeah.
0: Uh, All right. Well, look, guys, uh, speaking of good guys, I have kept the two of you wonderful human beings here for two whole hours. So uh, I'm very appreciative of it. But I feel like I got to let you go. Thank you very much. Can you remind both of you, Christian, remind people where they can find you?
2: Of course, you guys can find me on YouTube at Christian Watson. You might have to scroll a little bit because there's like a footballer who has ranks higher than me. But Christian Watson is my YouTube channel. You can just type in Christian Watson, Pencil Politics on YouTube. It should pop up. And I'm also on Twitter, which is at official c Watson. That's the at official c Watson. So thank you guys for having me on. I can't on. believe
0: um, that uh, I can't believe football is more important than philosophy to people on YouTube. But hey, uh, <laughs> L. Shame. Shame. Where can they find you, L?
1: Onlyfans.com for no. (laughs) (laughs) uh, So I should take, I should be more serious. Um, Somebitchtoldme.com, gab.com forward slash somebitch I know, t.me forward slash somebitch I know. Uh, You know, I'm just on the internet somewhere, uh, but mostly if you go to my website, which is somebitchtoldme.com, bitchto me.com I do have up at the top just sites and socials links to to you know sometimes it's a sometimes it's a moving target uh, so if if I have the link there it's me uh, someone did ask earlier uh, I believe it was Rochelle asked if I was going to join truth social I did I try to lock down my username on pretty much every social media platform turns out that someone already uh, reserved my uh, username on truth social but I am in the waiting list. Uh, and I'm hopefully going to be able to, uh, you know, get that back. Although I'm not, I'm certainly not big enough deal to be like, Hey, I'm some bitch. I know, but someone already took it. So uh, I guess that means I'm doing something right. I don't know, but some me.com gab telegram here, there, everywhere. Sorry. My cat is like having a meltdown. So no
0: worries. Well, look, thank you again, both of you. Um, it was a pleasure to talk to you. I'm sure I'll try and have you back soon. Um, go and follow Christian and And L everyone, have a good day. We'll see you next time. Thanks for sticking around until the end. If you're new to Unsafe Space, check out our deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. And please consider helping to fund our work by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server, which is open to financial supporters at any level. We hope to see you there.
3: Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production may be Russian propaganda. The following individuals are suspected of questioning one or more official narratives. Experts agree that there is an epidemic of sexually uninformed five-year-olds, and Florida is the cause. Here's an idea, why not stop complaining, and buy a Tesla? I'm sorry, there is no record of a COVID pandemic. You must be mistaken. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific.